welcome to the World of Speakers podcast brought to you by Speaker Hub. In each episode, we interview a professional speaker and reveal their very best tips and tricks. You'll learn to improve your presentation skills, keep your audience engaged, and learn how to grow your business to get more gigs and make more money. Here's your host, Ryan Foland. Ahoy, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The World of Speakers. This is a podcast where we get to talk with amazing speakers from around the world. And as these speakers who we talk to continue to create more content and create more of what they do, sometimes we get a chance to bring them back on the show years later. And that is the case today with our guest. My friend, it's been a little bit, but I'm so excited to talk with you today, Miss Tiffany Bova. She's not only a growth evangelist at Salesforce, she's also a Wall Street Journal bestselling author of Growth IQ, which is on my bookshelf. And her newest book, The Experience Mindset, is starting to hit that number one in a few different spots. And I'm still waiting to get my grubby hands on the copy. Make sure you check it out as well. We're going to talk about your experience speaking. Tiffany, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks, Ryan. I feel like we're in the same city and we take years to get back together virtually. <laughs> I feel like it was an epic fail, but wonderful to see you. Yes, that's right. This is the catalyst to continue keeping in touch. And what I think is cool about our relationship and a lot of fun relationships that I've had, especially in the speaking world, is that you get to know somebody and then you might not talk with them for a while, but I still feel like it's just that we met recently in a Hollywood hotel for lunch. It was just yesterday, right? It was. It was just yesterday. It wasn't. But yes, it was. <laughs> well, it is the stories that we tell others and stories that we tell ourselves that rule the life. And that is why we start with a story here. So tell me a story. It could happen since the last time I saw you. It can be something deep from your past. But the thread here is that it's a story that shaped you. And that's usually the fastest way for us to get to know you. Well, since this show is about sort of building out your speaking chops, I'm going to give a story of on stage because I think all of us or all of you will experience this at some point and it will definitely shape you. <laughs> so on stage a few weeks ago, I was in uh, Toronto and there's, I don't know, a couple hundred people in the audience. And first the mic starts going, the lapel mic. I hear the crackle. I hear the echo, like my voice is going in and out. So I say, hey, maybe you could bring up a handheld, right? As I'm now continuing to speak. And they must have missed, missed me saying it. So then, of course, it gets worse. And then I say, you know, hey, can you guys hear me? And of course, the audience is like, not really. I can't hear you in the back, right? So I'm like, can I get a handheld? So now I'm, you know, moving up the mic up and down, you know, the lapel mic up and down. They walk up with the handheld. I take the handheld. Now I got the pickle or the clicker, right? In one hand, I've got the mic in the other hand. And now I'm back to, you know, back to going. But of course, during that time, you don't miss a beat, right? You got to keep talking. Yeah, the show must go on. Show must have gone. Now the slides go. <laughs> but the slides don't just go. They go forward and backward and they go forward like three, go back like two. And I'm like, look, I'm not touching it. So now I've got a handheld. I've got the clicker. The slides are going, right? I have like 14 minutes left. You know what I mean? Like it's this. Your NCIS, you're looking at the bomb, tick, 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 <laughs> down, to the, down to the wire. And so I would say that, you know, that shapes you in a lot of ways that you just have to be ready for whatever that onstage experience throws you. And that comes from building confidence over time that if you know your material, right, you're comfortable on stage, that I could have gotten off stage and stood in the middle of the room and kept talking like if I had no mic, you know. 
And if I had no slides, I could have kept talking as well. I think the only thing that would have been disappointing in that is I think the audience wouldn't have had as great of an experience. Yes. Well, there's a lot to unpack there. So first of all, I love that you call the clicker the pickle. <laughs> it is definitely a pickle, sometimes a big square pickle. Sometimes <laughs> it's just that's great. I actually have some intellectual property that I'm designing around the pickle because I think there's some fundamental pickle problems, but I'm not going to disclose that yet because my patent attorney will, will slap me on the wrist. But this idea of calm in the calm and calm in the storm. This is I, I drew that as a stick figure the other day. You know, my sailing analogies will just continue to come out. So I forgive me. But there is this sense of calm in the calm. And there's this sense of calm in the storm. And as you mentioned, you have this after a certain amount of at-bats, a certain amount of presence that you've already gone through this, which is really experience. And you said experience about the audience, but experience is what you get just after you need it. And this story shaped you, but these stories have been shaping you for a long time. So do you remember like the first time you gained this experience and you weren't calm, you didn't know, and there was there was a storm and things went really bad. You didn't know what to do. I, I remember it like, you know, I was in Phoenix, I was in a ballroom. There was probably a thousand people in the audience and the mic went like that was it. And so I literally got off. I didn't know what to do because I couldn't scream from the stage. So I literally got off the stage and went to the middle of the room so that I could kind of just, you know, walk around almost in a round, right? So that my voice was carrying pretty consistently, you know, around the room. And I did that for about seven minutes until they could like get something alternative sort of, you know, hooked up for me. And that one was a little more jarring because I didn't know my material as well then as I do now. I would tell you that the danger for, um, it's a positive and a negative that if you really customize presentations for your audience, it means you then don't really know what slide is next. Where if you're always giving the same presentation, it doesn't matter what happens, right? Because you could just talk right through it. It's like the radio playlist and your, your, your CD list or whatever, your MP3 list. You know the next song is like, oh, you start singing it before it comes up. But if you don't do that, right, and you really customize, then you don't know the order. It may be the same slides in a slightly different order, but then that's when it gets tricky right? Because you click and you're sort of your talk track thinks it's a slide and it's not, right? If you don't have current and next, like, so I remember the first one, it was not as seamless. It was not as calm. And, you know, people afterwards were like, oh, you know, I think you did pretty well, you know, on dealing with it. But the first one was not quite as positive as the second one and the third one, then the fourth. It's probably in, you know, 17 years that I've been speaking. That's maybe only the fifth or sixth time. I mean, it doesn't happen, but that was the first time both happened. Like one happens or the other, but that was the first where both went. Yeah, and I love it. And it it really only comes with being in those situations over 10 plus years for it to happen. And you always know it could happen, but then when it actually happens, going back to how it shaped you, it is like every time you step on stage, there's a chance for it to shape you. And however comfortable you are with the material, what the tech and, you know, you can pull this thread to a business presentation or something in the boardroom or any of these other moments where you may not be on the stage, but something goes wrong. And, you know, it seems like there's always the plan A and then the plan B, you can know, but unless you experience it, you don't necessarily know. So this this idea, I want us to step through what are the plan A, B and C to help fast track some people's experience? Because plan A is probably calling out to tech, right? that didn't necessarily work. Your plan B would have been to get out into the audience. 
Are there any other like ninja hacks that you found to help overcome the tech that goes wrong, which will go wrong? Yeah, I mean, if you're lucky enough to have a whiteboard or a, you know an easel on the stage, that's another way that you can start to get some visual woven back into the presentation if the slides are gone. You know, my opinion on slides is that sitting in a lot of audiences myself, I switch between watching the person and listening to the person and then looking at the slide and reading the slide and looking at the images. I kind of bounce between the two. When you have no slides, right, and it is just the person you're listening to and you've got a 45-minute presentation, that's asking a lot. Like, there's just no break. I mean, you know, listen to someone in your own house for 45 minutes or a friend for 45 Oof. minutes and you don't get to say anything. It's tough for you to pay attention and really be present for that long. You need that, in my opinion, anyway, you need that switch between different mediums to keep your brain interested and paying attention. So if you lose one, now you really have to lean into the other, whichever that other is. And in most cases, it's going to be no slides, right? And then you're still talking. Then you have to be really descriptive on what was on the slide. Like you can't just then talk about it like it's still there because it's not there. Right. Like you can either say, well, if if we had the slide, right, it was an image that would show you what was important, what wasn't important or whatever. However, you're describing it, you have to create the picture like you're almost telling someone who is not in the audience what that slide says or what that slide is conveying. It may just be an image, may not be words, right? So it really taxes your storytelling abilities to be able to switch between, I'm telling you a story with no image. I'm telling you a story to tee up the image. I'm telling you a story that is supported by the image. Those are very different image usages. And then that is where A, B, and C would be well, if I don't have an image and I don't have slides, then how do I then change my story, right? Or change my talk track to be able to bring in the entire experience that someone would have had, had you had the image. Okay. And I have a feeling a lot of this dives into the mindset that you need for the experience, which I want to drip into all of this, but this idea of of doing a run through without slides in a controlled environment is now fascinating. It might be, I'm actually interested now to like do a pretake, a pretake, <laughs> a pretend retake on if something did go wrong and literally put myself through 45 minutes of trying to explain without slides. I mean, I draw a lot of stick figures, so very visual. I think that's great. But this exercise, you know, we can talk through it, but actually doing it in a comfortable setting a couple of times could really get your chops to where if and when things go wrong, you don't have to scramble the moment. I think that's fascinating. Yeah, and I would tell you that then I would take it one step further if you're going to say, okay, if slides go away and you rely on notes in the confidence monitors, then you do it with no notes. Right. Like the notes aren't there. So the confidence monitor is not working, but the slides are working, right? And if the confidence monitor is your notes, then you've got to get away from relying on notes, right? Because I customize presentations, I'm really looking for current and next slide. But not every you know AV setup allows me to have current and next. So I don't know what the next slide is, right? It's not about notes. It's more of it's really the story that is the tail that so when I click, the next slide is continuing the story. But if I don't know what the next slide is, right? So that is one that I have not found a great answer for, except that I, I tend, if I'm not able to see the next slide, that I kind of almost end my thought. And then the next slide goes and I pick it back up where if I could see the next slide, right, the story is continuing to flow, right? Where 
it's kind of a boulder in front of that water, right? Stops me for a second. I change slides and then I kind of keep going and it, it happens really quickly. But so the second one would be, you don't, you don't have notes, right? The third could be, you don't have current and next slide. And that alone really forces you to, and I know that I'm sure many of your guests have talked about it. You have to know your content. Like you have to know your content and it's not, you have to memorize your content, but you have to know your content. Like, what am I trying to say on this particular slide? Because if it goes away, right, then whatever I'm trying to say, I need to say, but now I need to say it a little differently because I don't have that image, right? Back to your point of doing that exercise of giving a presentation as if the slides were not there. And 45 minutes without slides is tough. Like it's not for the faint of heart. You know, even if it's a TED Talk style slide deck where it's heavy imagery, it's still the same concept, right? People are switching between looking and listening to you and looking at the image or looking at the slide. So, you know, imagine standing in front of a room for 45 minutes or 30 minutes or 25 minutes with no slides. It's not easy. Yeah. So I love this. We've sort of transitioned from the story time into how this really plays out in real life. And, you know, there's the concept you videotape yourself and you watch yourself at fast forward. So you see your body movements and you just listen to your audio to see if it resonates. And then you watch it the whole, this is like, this is something that you said, it's, it's getting the experience, but you're using these exercises. So you've literally defined like for, you know, for people who want to put themselves into the big stage situation, but then prepare for that big stage situation, trying to run with no images, trying to run with no notes, trying to run with no before and after slide, just as, as training, right? I mean, those big stages come ever so often as people are growing their business, but you can practice today for 45, you can practice tomorrow. And so getting, I really like the, these exercises, like a whole speaker exercise <laughs> training workout in my mind almost. Well, you know, and what you just said came from our first conversation, you know, and I often get asked, you know, you've been doing this a long time. How did you sort of hone your craft? And I'm always learning. So I'm not saying I'm, I'm not learning anymore. Not true. Like just two weeks ago, had to learn again. Right. Okay. But when I first got started, I would really insist on getting a copy, a video of me giving a presentation. And then I would watch it and not listen. So I would look for, am I pacing? Am I playing with my long hair? You know, am I playing with my hair? Am I adjusting my jacket? Am I fidgety? Am I, you know, do I take my glasses off? And, you know, what am I doing? Then I would do the reverse. I would listen and not watch. So am I talking really, really fast? Am I just, blah, 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 right? Am I leaning into what I'm, did I really bring that point across or did I blow past it? And, you know, am I using inflection in the voice? Like all those little things. Now I'm not watching. Then I want you to do the same thing for people where you've seen a presentation and you really liked it. Then do the same thing to theirs or, you know, someone who you admire. That's a good speaker. It doesn't have to be a keynote speaker, right? But a good interviewer. And people sometimes will say like someone like an Oprah Winfrey, well, Oprah is an orator. That is a very different speaking style or Barack Obama, very much an orator. Like, so you want to not replicate what other people do. It's more of saying, huh, I wonder if I could try that, make it my own. How would I do that? That is a great way for you to break up the pieces and parts of what it means to be on stage. You know, it's being prepared, it's, but it's pace of voice what you're physically doing on stage, you know, do you make eye contact? Do you walk to the corners? Do you stop for periods of time? Is the stage square? Is it even with the chairs? Are you above the chairs? Is it round? Like all those things play a part in how your body language and how you have to work the quote unquote room. And I think that the more you see yourself in action, 
no matter how cringeworthy you may think it is, <laughs> it is a great classroom. Exercise and action. Yes, the stage is a classroom. And so many stages are actual classrooms. You're literally, it's a, just a process for learning and for experience. And I want to know a little bit more about your book so the audience can get just a sense for it. And then I want to challenge you to apply some of the things that you have in the book to advice for public speaking. And we've sort of dove into this, even how to have some exercises for when things go wrong, how to review yourself in action. But tell us a little bit about the book. And then how does this experience mindset translate on a stage through all of these activities that we're being so aware of as we're up there? So the kind of aha moment came for me when I was on stage. I was giving a presentation in front of a couple thousand people at an event. And I said, I didn't think it was a coincidence that Salesforce is a great place to work. You know, pretty much globally, it's if it's not in the, the top three, it's in the top five or top 10. It's one of the most innovative companies in the world, and it's the fastest growing enterprise software company. And I said that, and after I said it, I was sort of like, I wonder, right, if the great place to work has an impact on our ability to innovate and stay competitive and be very customer success driven and you know, help create an environment, create a bridge right between our customers and their customers, right? Like that innovative motion. And then the result of those two things is faster growth rates, like tremendous growth we've seen over time. And so this was not a new concept, right? Happy employee, happy customer. You get those two things right, you're going to have greater growth rate. But there was very little empirical data around proving that. And I wanted to do it in a way that understood at that moment that matters, like when an employee touches a customer. What are the things that an employee needs to be more successful, to be more enabled, trained, and capable to deliver these amazing experiences? Because companies, brands, all of us, we want to deliver a great experience, right? If a company says we are the best at something, we want to make sure we are the most customer obsessed organization on the planet, you know, a la, you know, a big company out of Seattle. <laughs> it doesn't mean that their employees are happy. So the employees are the keepers of a company's promise. And so just think about it now. Let's try and tie it to this conversation. Like if your description or your website says you are the best at something or you are a must have on this topic or captivating audiences or, you know, catalyst of change, sort of all these words we use to try to describe ourselves, right? And stand out from someone else. When you're standing on stage, you better deliver it, <laughs> right? But the surrounding of you has an impact on that, right? AV, which we just talked about, what your slides are, like all those pieces and parts plays a part and you at that moment standing on stage and doing something to create this memorable experience because we all can make more money. We cannot make more time. So someone is sitting for 45 minutes. They've chosen to listen to you. They could have gotten a coffee. They could have gone back to their hotel room, right? They could have opened their laptop and done work, but they're paying attention. So it's our responsibility to do the best we can so that they feel like it was not a waste of time. And so there are things that go into that. And the book is really about that. It isn't it isn't about customer experience. It isn't about experience just all up. It is really about how employees are the keepers of companies' experiences to their customers. And we've just failed our employees on so many levels. And so, you know, I tried to tie it to the speaking world, you know, to the profession. Oh, you did. You very much did. So fill in the blank here. Speakers are the keepers of 
Well, it depends. If you work for a company. Okay. This is good. This is a good difference here. Right. Because I work for Salesforce. Yes. So I represent Salesforce when I'm on stage. I use a Salesforce template when I'm on stage. I don't talk about our products, but I'm still representing Salesforce. Like there is no question if you know our brand and you see my slides, you know who I work for. Like there should be no question. Right. So when you are speaking for the company, you are the speaker that holds, that is the keeper of the company message, company goods. Yeah, the company promise, right? And so we have values, trust. So am I up there saying stuff that is not trustworthy, right? It's, we're about innovation, okay, right? We're about customer success. We're about equality. We're about sustainability. So if those are our values and I'm standing on stage, I'm always trying to weave those aspects in, right? If you're going to talk about quantum computing, right, and crypto, then I'm going to say on the backside of that, and it's not great for the planet, right? It's higher compute power. It's, you know, we're trying to find ways to make that more sustainable. So I will talk about one, but the values of where I work, right? I am the keeper of, at that moment, that I'm representing not only myself, I'd say I'm representing Salesforce first, myself second, right, in this way. So if you're a speaker and work for a company and your company's brand is on that slide, then you are representing them. The keeper of their promise. I love that because the promise is that you show up, you pay attention, which is a physical currency. I love to think about it. You're paying attention to sit in that seat. As you mentioned, you could do anything else. And now you are paying your attention here. So you are the keeper of the company promise. Now, I can just see the direct parallel to when you're on stage representing yourself, speaking on that key topic. You are the keeper of the promise that what? That you have on your website, that you've sold going into it, everything that you're about, right? Your brand, your brand promise. Yes. Like, you know, that if you go way off brand, like if you're known for sort of talking about something, like I'm just going to pick this example of my book. Like I am not an HR expert. It's not my lane. It's not my topic. Like I've, you know, I don't spend time on the, on the craft and the profession of human resources. I don't. But my first book, Growth IQ, had 10 paths to growth. And in full transparency, I missed employee altogether. Mm. I didn't really talk about it. And so once I joined Salesforce and I started saying what I said on stage, right, I realized the connection and power of you can't do all the things I'm talking about unless your employees have what they need in order to deliver on those promises, right? Like if your call center agents are not loving their job and are miserable, your customers will know it in a heartbeat, right? If they're not given the right tools and they have to bounce you around to five other people to answer your question, that's because someone made a decision in the C-suite that we're not going to give access to that information to that call center agent. I mean, it's not the agent's fault, <laughs> like what someone way above them has decided. So that's why it's kind of my 11th path, my mea culpa to the fact that I had left out employees on the first one. So, but if I all of a sudden started, you know, talking on stage about trends in human resources, I think people would go, wait a second, like, aren't you the sales marketing and customer service, customer success, customer experience? When did you get into HR? You know what I mean? Like, so I'm very much aligning it to my lane, if you will, unless I want to do a complete pivot. And if I want to pivot out or add it in, then I make the decision that that's what I'm going to do. But that's not where my passion lies, right? My passion lies in sort of the lane I'm in. And how can I bring in new ideas to make those topics I, I've been talking about for you know 30 years to actually be more successful? Now, for those speakers who are part of agencies, it might be one thing. For, for speakers who are non-represented, who are representing themselves, they're really the ones that set the tone, set the value, set the bar that they are then promising. 
And as you initially said, like you are sort of setting people up with these buzzy quote words and what you're selling yourself as. And then out the gates, you literally now are on a blank stage with everyone now at square one, square zero. I was paddleboarding this morning and sometimes I'll stop and then work to get myself up to speed. And so I'm curious for you, you know, the hook in the video is the most important and this initial sort of impression that people have of you, whether you're representing the company or representing yourself. I'd love to know if you have any ways that you help to start to deliver on that promise right out the gate. I mean, whether it's coming out and saying it, whether it's storytelling from the start, from an experience standpoint, whether it's the employee or the person that's on stage being an employee of, of your own company, like, is there a way that your research showed starting that experience or the relevancy of that start? Or is the start even that important? Because getting that good start, getting out the gates to deliver on this promise, is there anything that you do specifically to draw that out? So I'm going to go back to something you just said like a minute ago, and then I'll answer that question is, you know, the buzzwords that you may use in your description, right? Or in your sizzle reel. I used to go, okay, who do I admire as a speaker? Let me go look at their description. Let me go look at their bio. And I'm going to kind of make it, you know, borrow words, right? Repurpose a phrase and sort of apply it to myself. And it's not that maybe those were not correct, but that was my own self descriptor, which we're not always very self-aware sometimes, right? Or a lot of the time, it depends on what research you look at. So I started asking people when I was kind of first on stage, probably during the decade for sure, I was with the Gartner Group before I joined Salesforce. People always wanted my slides. Like they wanted copies of my slides. And I was like, I know the next question, you know, when I was finished, right? I'd say, thank you. And I said, I know the next question is going to be, can you get a hold of the slides? So let me tell you the trick, right? I would say, if you want the slides, I want you to send me feedback on the presentation on what stood out to you. Now, I'm flattered if you want to say it was I was great or you like my suit or you like my shoes or whatever, but really on the content, like right on the content. And I would get probably 15 or 20% of the audience would ask me for it. And the bigger the audience, you know, I could get 50, 60, 70, 100 emails. Now what I got was real time, what was landing, what wasn't landing, you know, I really like that story or I hadn't heard it that way. Or even the slide was too hard to read from the back row. You know, it could be whatever. And I was constantly adjusting the presentation according to what the feedback was. And most of the time, people would be like, it was like you were sitting in our leadership meeting, or it was like you were sitting in my sales meeting last week. How do you stay so on top of the pulse of what's happening? That's how I did it, right? Because I was getting real time feedback that maybe two or three days later, I will have adjusted. And now I give a story that someone gave in the email to me on stage. Oh, I heard from this company and they were doing this and this. And people are like, yes, that's like, this is exactly what we're dealing with. But it allowed me to adjust almost in real time. So the presentation was always staying fresh. But the second thing it did was it started to give me descriptors of my presentation skills, like powerful start to finish right? Or compelling, or I was super uncomfortable, or, you know, I mean, they started to use these descriptors that then I would weave into my description of my keynote or my LinkedIn bio or my, you know, whatever it might've been. And so I'm using other people's words instead of my words. And it became much more authentic. And the people go, yeah, 
She was absolutely what she said she was going to be because guess what? They were words of people who were in the audience, not my words. So those it's sort of two sides to that that question. No, I love that. And you know, I, when I talk about branding, I like to say that it's almost like a Venn diagram where on one side, it's what you want to be known for. Maybe as you're aspirationally or you're finding speakers that you resonate, these are the, the things, the phrases that you know that you aspire to be, but that's not necessarily the case. You know, you have to prove that over time. And then as you get this feedback, I talk about what other people think or what they see or what they experience. And it's really a combination of those two. And when what you want to be known for matches with what people are seeing, then that truly is where you kind of find that brand definition. And I think I think you outlined that that excellently. Is there a certain start that you like to start? I mean, we know about Nick Morgan's, you know, he talks about the James Bond start and some people come out with starting with a story and some will come out with humor. Is it just really based on customization of what the audience wants or do you have any kind of go-to starts to get that paddleboard up to speed? Yeah, it depends who the audience is. Like if I'm in a room full of all salespeople, my opening is very different, right? Like, you know, how many of you love to sell? Like, and you know, a couple of people raise their hand and I'm like, then what do the rest of you do? Like, this is a sales meeting, like, you know, right? <laughs> so sometimes it's a question. Sometimes it's a story. Sometimes it's a little bit like, so for example, if it is salespeople, like I want them to know that I'm not just standing about up here talking about the profession of selling, that I've sold tech for a very long time. I've carried a quota. I've run sales teams. Like I've been rejected. Like I've cold called, like I've used bad technology, good technology. Like, you know, I've, I've been an executive. I've run a division. Like I've, then I was marketing, then I was doing customer service. And so all of a sudden they go, oh, she gets it. She's actually done it. She's a practitioner, not just someone who's up here talking about something they've never done. And no offense to people who are talking about things they've never done. But there is a subtle difference when you've actually done it. There are, it's almost like a shorthand language because you've been in the thick of launching a product or you've actually gotten a team to innovate or you've had to manage M&A of a new group of people or system coming in, or you're, you know, talking about how to be a better leader. Well, you know, have you actually moved up the ranks of being a leader? And (laughs) there is something to be said for it. It isn't. It's not that I'm saying if you haven't done that, you're not credible. Not what I'm saying. Right. What I'm saying is there is a shorthand language you get, and there is a very subtle bit of credibility you get when the people in the audience feel like they relate to you. You relate to them for some reason. So I guess a hook may be at the beginning, how do you relate to the people in the audience? How do you make them feel like, right? Not just your data and your great presentation skills and all of those things, but that you understand them, that it's personalized in a way that makes them feel you care enough to actually go through the effort of telling some kind of story that makes them go, oh, okay, yep, I'm going to continue to listen because this person gets it, right? They've been a this, a that, a this, a that, whatever it might be. And and if you're an advisor and speaker, you also get a front row seat because you're advising. And so you've just got to be passionate. So if I were to go up and talk about why sailing is great for therapy and for getting rid of burnout and stress, I could probably tell a really great story because I was born and raised in Hawaii. I've spent a majority of my childhood in the ocean, but I was not a sailor. I could use a surfing analogy or a paddling analogy, but I would not use a sailing analogy. And so if there's a room of sailors, it wouldn't matter how great the surfing one, you see what I'm saying? Like they're going to kind of go, okay, right? Oh yeah. 
The relatability open hook for sure. Open hook, right? And so you have to find that connection to the audience. And when you were saying that, I couldn't help but think of the customer service agent hearing that same advice about that they physically care about the customer, that they maybe have gone through the process that they're asking people to go through, that they might be somehow related or passionate about the promise that the company is delivering so that all this ties in together. And when the customer service agent is relatable, when the speaker is relatable, I feel like it's easier to invest or pay that attention because the experience is one that you connect or relate to or you know see yourself in essentially. Yeah, because normally it's a conversation, right? You ask a question, then you intentionally listen. When you're on stage, you don't get a chance to intentionally listen to those people in the audience. So that's why preparation is that intentional listening. Is it a organization, an association? Okay, we'll know what they do, right? You have to listen to what you can find. So when you're up there, you're able to then connect with them, right? Or if you're speaking at a company event, then know what the company stands for. How do you tie the story to that company? If it's a small business, like talk to five of your small business friends, right? Or your entrepreneur friends and say like, look, my neighbor does this or my friend does, my best friend does that. Like you have to listen metaphorically because you're not able to hear everybody in the audience, right? So you have to find the commonality. Why are they all there? And then you have to be able to know that story. Yeah, then you if you ask for them to share feedback and you can actively listen to that. And then, you know, you're just constantly sharpening your tool, constantly learning. And that's why I love speaking as an art form, because there's no upper limit. You're constantly changing. The environment's changing. The mediums are changing. The way in which we deliver, consume, create, everything's changing. That's why I think it's constantly something that's exciting. So this is great technical stuff about the art of speaking. I want to do a little transition now into building your stages or building your business. Now, you come from a unique perspective because you work for a large company that has these amazing stages. You also have a lot of work that you do outside because of your insights on sales and growth and now the experience mindset. So if you were to pick either some of the most valuable advice that you received or that you've understood or even the worst advice and how and why we should avoid keeping the experience in mind here, maybe something could be pulled from the book and the research, but what is it about keeping the promise of your company or your brand that truly the experience you deliver can help you to build your business and continue to get better, to have higher fees, higher stages, bigger audiences, or medium or lower or more consulting, like whatever the goal is for you. But what are you seeing now in today's day and world post-pandemic? Like, how are you seeing things work and what are you excited to share? I would say this. I would say, you know, over the course of the two years that we were all sort of locked down, lots of people honed in on kind of virtual video presentations, right? Because we had no choice. Lots of new podcasts launched. Lots of books were written, like, you know, because we just had this sort of time to, in four walls, be very focused on whatever it was. But I would say, if you're trying to build your business, I've kind of alluded to this, it has to be something you're really passionate about. Like, what is that topic? And the way to stay passionate about it over the long haul is stay curious to the point that we were talking about, about the skill of speaking, but more importantly, the content of your speaking. Like, what is your content? Is it just... They saw you two years ago or they saw you one year ago and you're giving the same presentation. You've just done everybody a disservice, right? Because then they're going to say, oh yeah, I saw them or I saw her or saw him, right? I saw them 
12 months ago, it was the same presentation. I got up and walked out, right? Or, you know, they don't really have fresh stories or they don't. That's kind of that shame on us, right? So I'd say staying curious, being passionate about what that topic is. And then I would literally reach out to everyone you've ever spoken for and ask and say, you know, what topics are you now interested in hearing about when you're booking speakers, me or someone else? Like, you know, what is sort of top of mind? And maybe you then expand. You might have one keynote. Now you might have two or three, right? Or you might have four that they choose from. I just think this is always a, is it fresh? Even if the content is the same, are the stories fresh? Are your jokes fresh, right? Are your isms fresh? Are your, you know what I'm saying? Like, even if it's the same content, someone could feel like, I think it was the same content, but that was just totally different. I learned different things this time than I did last time. Like, so I would say that if you're trying to stand out and build your business, it has to stay fresh. You have to stay curious and you have to be willing to like go, I'm not going to give one slide from last year, this year, right? Like I'm just not going to. Because if nothing's changed, then you're not paying attention because everything's changed, right? And everything always changes. Or I'm, I got to come up with five new stories. Like, so I'm working on a new deck right now. And I literally have like 70 slides pulled to the side of like, you know, this is all sort of content. You know, these are images, these are links, this is research, you know, ours and others. And it's, I need to build a new deck. And so the story arc hasn't necessarily changed. But the slides and content, right, and the things I will call out have changed because the market's changed. So if you're going to, you know, just tuck it away for a busy, rainy day, and that's what I did, and then now I'm in the, okay, let's start to put it on slides. Ugly, you know, just images or words. And then, okay, what, where did I put where and create a whole new deck? But in reality, I wouldn't really change the description. It's just the content is different. I like that. There's a lot to digest there. Now, from somebody who speaks in one capacity with and for a company, I wonder how much the company is pushing that freshness or if that is something that is sort of self-led by that representative, right? I I would imagine you're the one driving these need for story changes and like that's because you're great at what you do. But for somebody who maybe speaks at a company, if they're not nudged to change it up, if they're not nudged to keep it fresh and they get into that routine of that same and be interested of how much the push versus pull comes from a company side to do that. Yeah. So I'll say I'm in a really unique situation. I do not give a Salesforce presentation. Like there might be, you know, well, there are, we just all got certified on our corporate deck so that everybody could give the corporate deck. I don't give the corporate deck. So that would be driven by, I don't have a choice. Like I can't change up the corporate deck, but I'm not giving that. My role is really thought leadership, an outside perspective, you know, trying to be trend watching and, you know, what are things companies can be doing without me showing our tech stack and our customer 360 wheel. And, you know, I will weave in things about us, but it is not a presentation about us. So that's different. If you are a product manager, kind of hard for you to go, I'm going to mix it up, right? Because you got to talk about a product. But if you have, you know, the wonderful opportunity to have something like I have, that's different, right? Where I am constantly pushing for unique and new content. So that's a little bit different than what you may assume. But if you have the ability to weave in some of your own content mixed in with the corporate stuff, then that's the piece of it that you can keep fresh. If you are giving 
you know, 95% of it is your content, right? Aligned to what your company does. I'm obviously not going to endorse a competitor. Or I'm not going to talk about a competitor's product, or I'm not going to talk about something, you know, that just is way out of bounds for where I work. I won't talk about it, but it's a subtle difference, right? Versus me talking about us in that way, kind of in first person. I'm here to talk to you about Salesforce on Salesforce. This is how we do it. This is our technology. Here are eight clouds. Like, here's what each one does. Here's a case study for each one. Like, I'm not doing that. There are lots of people who do it and do it really well, but that's not what I do. Yeah, keep it fresh. And this idea, you know, we focus a lot on the skill of speaking, but when you focus on the skill of your content, it just also has that same type of resonance that sometimes the most simple advice is staring you right in the face. Now, I want to go back to your book just for a minute here when it comes to this experience mindset. Can you tell a little bit of the difference between a mindset and an IQ, right? Because I'm coming off of your other book and it's almost like this competency, but then the mindset is something that I'm just curious your definition of it when it comes to this. And I'll go back to, we talked about the audience paying attention or the customers paying attention in one respect. And then you said, you know, shame on us if we're not paying attention to this freshness, this sort of thing. So I'm just curious, this definition of mindset versus IQ, IQ almost seems like it's a finite number that we can get to if we achieve a mindset seems to be this, this flow. I'm curious your thoughts between those two. Yeah, it's a great question. And I'd say that for me, mind, uh, growth IQ was a prescriptive framework, sort of 10 paths to growth, combine them in some way, understand the context of your market, and what is the sequence by which you're going to do some of these activities? And then rinse and repeat and get better, rinse and repeat and get better. And, Correct. Yeah. Correct. Right? Mindset was, for all intent purposes, was really we have, as companies around the globe, over pivoted to customer experience. Customers, the true north, we're going to live and die on the hill of the customer. We start with the customer, work back in. Everything we do is for the customer, that. And unfortunately, over the last probably 20, 25 years, as we got into the fourth industrial revolution, the digital revolution, we started really focusing on reducing effort for the customer. It was when I first stood up a website in 2000, it was like 10 clicks to buy something. And now it's at one click and it could be on your phone, your, your watch. It could be via, you know, AI and with voice, like, right. One click to buy. But on the back end, we haven't done the same thing for our employees. There's lots of tools and technology. The MarTech stack or the marketing technology stack has bloated. You know, there's lots of tools. There's reskilling necessary. Like talk about chat GPT or AI, how and where to use it. Like there's a lot coming at the employees. We've not kept pace and the effort for employees has actually gone up, which has resulted in their experience going down. So experience mindset is literally, if you're going to do something for the customer, I want you to stop for a second and ask what the intended or unintended consequences are for the employee. If you're going to do something for the employee, take a pause and ask yourself, what's the intended or unintended consequence for the customer? If I can get people, executives, frontline managers to stop for one second when they make all these changes around the customer and do it for the employee, it's been a success. And so I use the word mindset instead of people thinking I need a new role in the company. I have to have a new team. I have to have someone sitting at the C-suite to make this happen. This is literally everybody needs to make sure when we do for one, that it doesn't have negative implications to the other. And if we can get in better balance there, both will improve. And, and you know, 
wrong audience for this particular conversation, but we could tie it back to revenue and compounded annual growth rate improvements across brands around the globe. And so if you get them right, you actually have the ability to increase growth. Well, I think this is the right conversation because if you are a speaker and you're talking about compounded global growth, like that's a pretty good thing and a nice mindset to do. But I love that distinction. I appreciate that because this isn't the experience IQ, right? It's the experience mindset. And this idea that there is a a correlated relationship between the customers and the employees, there's also a correlated relationship between your audience and you as a speaker. Or you could almost, I wonder if you can make the step to say at a conference, there are, let's say, you know, two keynotes and let's say eight supporting speakers over a two or three day period. Those speakers really are the employees per se of the conference, which is serving the customer. And you could probably have that conversation around what changes or environments or seating or, you know, audio visual experience do you have for the audience? How does that impact or not positive or negative the speaker's ability to have their experience? And then what you're setting up the speakers for, how does that help or hurt those audience? So I can't help but just see the total correlation between the employees and speakers. Yeah. So I'll play this out. You are going to be presenting at a conference and you're like, the client goes, we're going to have a pre-call so I can hear what you're going to talk about. I could tell you a little bit about the audience. What are the pains and desires? What do you want them to feel and understand? What do I need you to do? When do you need to be there? How it's going to flow? Whatever, right? And your answer literally was, don't care. I'm going to get on stage. I'm going to talk about what I want to talk about. (laughs) I don't care who's in the audience. I'm going to use heavy, loud sounds in my presentation. It's going to be crazy. It's going to be, you know, like whatever. You'll see me in Vegas soon. Yeah. Like, right. Kind of a thing. That is how we right now focus only on the customer and not the employee. So in that case, all you care about is yourself. In this example, we were just talking about the brand only cares about the customer and not the employee. There's no active listening, which you metaphorically have to do on stage or have to assume with a customer. So if you were to live the mindset, it would be, okay, this is what I want to do, but what does the audience want? That is a mindset shift because some speakers don't do that. They don't do the work up front. Their mindset is, I'm just going to do my thing. They hired me. I'm going to do my thing. That is not having an experience mindset. You need to balance both. Who's in the audience? What kind of company? How much money, you know, are they small businesses? And you're talking about things that billion dollar brands do. You're being tone deaf, right? It's a, it's an entrepreneur audience. They, they, they might not have an HR department and a chief marketing officer and a CIO, right? And you're talking about it like they do. Then it's a terrible audience experience. And in that case, it would be, right, a terrible customer experience. So the experience mindset is literally that you have balance between what you want to do and what the people hiring you want to do. That's probably the best way for me to say it. That's it. You heard it here. And this is exactly why I think everyone listening should go grab a copy of your book, The Experience Mindset by Tiffany Bova. You can find it everywhere. In fact, you're probably walking by a bookstore right now or you're near. So just pull in, pull over and grab it. And I also suggest you grab the growth IQ because I've been fascinated at how those 10 elements can be combined and applied to speaking and, you know, to all kinds of other places of life. Well, Tiffany, this has been totally fun to get caught up. And 
I'm really liking this idea of just mindset in the shift. It's helping me to take on a new mindset. I'm thinking of how I can freshen things up. I have a whole bunch of new stick figure drawings in my mind as we speak. But for people who want to connect with you, find you, follow you, make sure they see you on stage. And like, what is the best route for that right now? There's so many places to find you. Yeah. So I'm really active on LinkedIn. I can't actually connect with any more people. So you have to follow me. I have maxed <laughs> out on, on connections, I guess, over the last, whatever, 15 or seven. I don't know how long I've been on. I'm at Twitter at Tiffany underscore Bova, Instagram at Tiffany Bova, as well as Facebook. And then I've got a podcast called What's Next with Tiffany Bova that you can get across all the platforms. So I look forward to hearing from you. Once again, I'm always open to feedback. So what resonated with you? you know, drop me a note. Always open to hear it. Yeah. And she'll give you the deck as well. If you give her the, the content feedback. <laughs> yeah, I don't do that anymore, but I will definitely point you in the direction of research if you want to want to find that. Awesome. Well, hey, well, we are too close to have no excuse but to meet up again soon for for some drinks or coffee or, or just chit chat. Absolutely. I look forward to it. All right. Well, thank you, Tiffany. And thank you, Speaker Hub, for being such an awesome fuel for this type of conversation. If you are a speaker out there and you need a place to land online, then you can go to speakerhub.com. You can have your own profile. You can generate your own one pager. You can put a bug in your signature. You can use it for call for speakers, all kinds of things. And if you want to connect with me and you want to be as part of my network or follow me, you can find everything online at ryan.online. That's where you go and connect with me. I used to tweet a lot more, Tiffany, but I don't tweet very much anymore. It's a different platform <laughs> today, that's for sure. <laughs> yes, but that's okay. There are plenty of brand crumbs to find out there. Just connect. And I think that the more we connect, the more we can share, the better experience for all. But remember, the experience is tied to the mindset. It is not just about you. It's about how and what you do is impacted by who and how they experience you. Tiffany, thank you so much. We'll have to have you back at your next book. Thanks, Ryan. All right. Adios, everybody. Keep it fresh. Keep it simple. Know your stuff. Adios.